Hey, it's Neve from Post Hero Donna 2023. Um, I survived another one, huh? Nine days this time. Well, actually, eight days because first stage was cancelled. But um, yeah, no less tough. I think, yeah, this was an unrelenting Dura. I mean, every day was, uh, it was a tough day. Always up and down, a lot of climbing, and um, yeah, not not really many sprint days in the end. But um, yeah, the last stage was yeah another hot one in Sydney. Um, some more like notable climbs, but not super steep. So just the kind of climb that drags on, you know, long and enough pace that you're just dripping with sweat and just yeah. I feel like your perceived rate of exhaustion is that exertion goes so much uh, out of whack in the heat. Uh, n- not much power feels like a lot. Also, the end of a stage race. But, um, yeah, anyway, we came over the top of that climb as a team in three. Blanca, Anna Shackley and I. And there were quite a lot of attacks after the climb and we also were quite keen to try take one last opportunity, you know, getting a breakaway. Um, but nothing really stuck. And then it was downhill fast all the way to the finish, so we sprinted for Blanca. But, yeah, it was a it was a tricky full gas sprint, um, that one. And, yeah, Blanca just... I mean, it was difficult to uh, check an eye on the best lead-out train, but, the, so yeah, she rode to top ten or something. Um but yeah, it was not not a bitter end to the Giro. I think we were really happy with the Giro as a team. We definitely had a lot to celebrate. And yeah, I, I mean, it was super enjoyable and super cool. Obviously, like, my own expectations I didn't really meet. I, um, to be honest, my riding was a little bit inconsistent. And that's not what you need for for a, a tour and GC, but I think it's also part of the challenge, you know, to to just put that behind you and like accept that sometimes, yeah. I also learned a lot about myself on this tour, and it feels really different to race when I don't have, yeah, maybe Damien or Mullen around. It's just different. It's not that I see it any any less away or something I enjoy both um but yeah so we still I think achieve definitely our goals as a team some stage wins and and podiums and yeah um it's maybe not what everyone's used to seeing from Misty Works not not all the winning but I think it's not the point of our team you know we uh, we relish every victory and it's on us we don't we don't expect winning and I think that's really important um to note that you know every race is a race and this year was still super cool um a challenge and an adventure with the hotels and yeah the crazy organization cancellation of stages weather crazy descents climbing heat I mean, Italy throws it all at you, but it's a beautiful country to ride and race through. And, 
yeah, there's something so special about the Giro, and I uh, I hate that it's a little bit shadowed by the tour now because I think it's a special race in its own right. Um, so yeah, that was the Giro, and um, yeah, now I'm going to take a rest. Last night we we all stayed an extra night in Sardinia, so we had a night on the beach swimming yeah relaxing having some drinks and eating pizza and tiramisu and gelato (laughs) and we deserved it because it was a hard nine days and um that's also the other side of the sport you know you're allowed to celebrate and uh enjoy the success and I think that's just as important so yeah now I'm going to take some rest I'm back in Girona and yeah bearing off the heat but yeah and I look forward to some more racing um, in the end of the season. Yeah, it's going to be good. Thank you for having me, Abby and Co. And I'm definitely not going to listen to these back back to these podcasters because I hate listening to my voice. But I hope I hope they're enjoyable. So yeah, see you next time. We open this episode with an audio diary from Neve Fisherblack of the SD Works team reflecting back on the Gerodonna from home. Now let's dive into the full episode. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Wheel Talk podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. We are here after, well, I recorded nine days worth of episodes it was a lot but it was really fun I was super excited to have Hannah Barnes current professional on Uno X with me on that journey and I hope people enjoyed those episodes we we have a couple audio diaries today as well from the last stage and a kind of like day after thought um word vomit sesh so really excited those will be later in the episode and a little bit of Iris Slappendel, a little bit of Gracie Elvin. Yeah, it's going to be a great episode today. I'm joined by Matt Deneve. Hi, thanks for having me back. Great to be here. And I'm so excited. Lauren Rowney is back. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It's good to be back. And we have a new voice on the podcast today. If you listen to our podcast elsewhere, then you'll know her voice from Audio Diaries from the Tour Down Under. Tills, Matilda Reynolds. Hello. G'day. Long time listener, first time caller. Very excited. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so we're going to talk all things Giro, maybe even get into a tiny bit of the Tour de France Femme of Swift to come at the end of the episode because that is on everyone's mind at the moment. But before we dive into that, this episode of the Wheel Talk podcast was made possible by the generous support of our members. Monthly memberships start at just $11.99 or you can save 30% on an annual payment. For more information, head on over to escapecollective.com join. And thank you so much to everyone who's already a member. It is making our Giro and Tour de France Femme coverage possible. If you've checked out escapecollective.com, it is just hopping right now with great stuff. So definitely check that out. All right, guys, gals, and nine non-binary pals. Taylor Swift says it all the time, <laughs> and now I'm just like, that's the coolest thing. <laughs> We're here to chat about the Giro, so let's talk about it. Because there was nine daily episodes on the day-to-day, today we're just going to kind of touch on the major themes of the race and what better place to start than 
the woman of the race herself, Annemiek Van Vluten, in her final Giro. I don't know about you all, but I felt like this really weird like sadness, nostalgia when she crossed the line on Sunday that this was her final day in pink, her final Giro. Donna, after she's been, she's really made this race her own since 2017 after that horrendous crash at the Olympic road race. She just kind of, she was already a really incredible rider up to that point. But man, after that race, she burst onto the scene as a real force. And she's since 2017, she's won four of the six Giros that she raced of the two that she didn't of the two that she didn't win, she finished third and she crashed out on the seventh or eighth stage in the pink jersey in 2020. So it's really been at the Giro, it's been the, the age of Anamique. Yeah, I totally resonate with that feeling, Abby. I think um, for so many seasons and years, we've been almost against Anamique, sort of saying beat her and like, won't somebody like rival her? But I think I really had a moment of thinking. I don't see Anna Meek as the goat, but I really see her as someone that just has propelled women's cycling forward beyond majority, like any other rider. You know, it's really hard in cycling to say she broke barriers because there isn't a time in cycling. It's not like the four-minute mile or the 2.30 marathon or the nine-hour Ironman where you say, wow, like that that woman broke that barrier and, and f- from there it's been, you know, broken so many times before. And I think Anamique really took the sport and has taken the sport to another level, which everyone you're seeing now, the peloton starting to catch up, doing these camps and, you know, the training that they're doing and the professionalism in their training. I think that's how I see Anamique is someone who's taken the sport to another level. And um, for that, we should be so grateful and just an incredible, you know, incredible athlete. Yeah, in terms of the training, I was talking to Hannah about this in the final daily episode that she's really pioneered altitude training. Mm. And that's become such a massive part of all of cycling, men's and women's cycling. But it was happening before Anamique in the men's peloton, and she really made it a thing in the women's. And I wrote a kind of retrospective about Anamique and the Giro that's on escapecollective.com if anyone wants to read it. And I, in that, I think I say that she she took it from being a training tool to a way of life and it's really become a way of life i mean i'm in andorra and like yesterday there was seven professional women having a barbecue i saw pauline ferran out training i saw demi vollering out training like it's just a massive thing to come to altitude now you can't really be a top professional without doing it and that's really thanks to Anamique. Yeah, and she used it so effectively again, didn't she? You know, her early season, to be honest, was just really average from her lofty standards. And there was talk in the lead up, you know, we talked about it on the podcast about would she be, you know, would she be able to get back to those levels and uh, that she's had in the years gone by? And uh, yeah, she did, you know, she was, she was head and shoulders above everyone else and won the race by almost four minutes and used the the altitude and the build-up so effectively. And I believe she's back at altitude now ahead of the tour and it's probably going to go well for her there as well. So, yeah, she she's, you know, there was those videos a few years ago of her training with the the uh, Green Edge men a couple of days in the preseason and, you know, they kind of made a splash. And since then it's been, it, it has become the thing. And, you know, I spoke to Grace Brown probably a month or two ago about whether she was going to altitude before the tour and she kind of begrudgingly said, oh, I've decided not to, but acknowledged that she was probably giving away a few percent by 
by doing that because everybody else was doing it. So, yeah, Anamik has changed the game in that way. And I think it'll only continue to see more people training at altitude ahead of big targets like this. Can I just say how good is it doing the post-race preview than the pre-race preview that Amy Jones was a part of and had to us uh, well, us all thinking that maybe Anamique wouldn't be the uh, the you're back to her best days, but in defence of Amy Jones because she's not here to defend herself, I think that's just what's so good about cycling is that <laughs> the best cycling is when you don't get the script right when it you know it it doesn't go to plan. So I'm just glad I'm a part of the post-race analysis <laughs> than the pre pre-race things. <laughs> I think, um, but uh, it would have been Gracie, I'm sure, that said you can just never underestimate her. And I think months ago we spoke about it. We've spoken about it a lot, the fact that she wasn't having the season she wanted, but maybe this is just how she had planned her season all along, Mm. you know, with these big goals. Um, And to do the double and try and win both, the Giro and, um, well, she's going for the triple, I suppose, um, she wasn't at her best at the Vuelta, but I think she she almost knew that. And then she's shown at the Giro, she's, is she back to her best? I don't know. Um, we've said that the margins have closed between her and the other competitors, but I just have this feeling that this has always been part of the plan for her for her final year. And, you know, Anamique is just so um, calculated in everything that she does and the people that she works with that she always has this belief in herself that I think not many athletes have had so it was nice to hear from her that um she knew she was in good form but to actually you know see that on paper and um demonstrate the I don't know the pure dominance she had over the field was was really cool to see yeah and I mean I think I think there was a lot of questions in in defense of Amy about Anamique's form going into it because of that. And already on the second stage, she was just, it was like, oh, okay, well, this She's is back. the hero that we're going to watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, the second stage that, you know, like Hannah, a current professional, called for, for Voss ended up being one of the major GC days in the first stage of three that Anamique won throughout the race. And she really just... Yeah, I think part of this is one of one of the major themes that I actually asked a couple of our audio diarists about um, today to if they if they wanted to give a couple like final thoughts on the race was the effect that the tour has on the Giro. And mm-hmm. let's actually listen to Nina Kessler's thoughts really quick. Well, good morning. The day after um, came on pretty late yesterday. It took a while uh, before uh, my suitcase arrived and my bike. Um, But then my mom picked me up, brought me back home. Um, Yeah, I walked in, just like dropped all my stuff in the living room like I always do. And then in the morning, I'm like, oh, no, I have to like clean all this again, like unpack. But in like three days, I have to pack it again because I go to the race in Stuttgart. But it was really nice to sleep in my own bed. And uh, I didn't have breakfast yet, but I definitely go to the supermarket. I will buy some nice fresh bread. And finally, I'm going to get my treat, my chocolate sprinkled bread. It was... um, yeah, it was it was a good stage race, and 
always after like if you finish a grand tour like a stage race like this there's always some happiness in the team and like i said there was pizza and but also a little bit of rush and everybody's like packing their stuff and have to go somewhere else or to the airport and a little bit of rush but it's also uh, it's nice to be home um i have to say i think this was my fifth zero and um i think it was a tough one you can definitely see that the level from women's cycling um is growing and um i also think what it what it made it hard is like normally in like stage races the first couple days they are hard because there's no gc settled yet so everybody's still fighting for the gc but oh sorry <laughs> yeah a little tired but then after like a couple days you notice that um the gc riders also want to like have a kind of break and just like let it go but the whole stage race there was like no early breakaway or like calmness the the race was like always on and you know you have like team meetings and then after like half the the zero then a lot of the ds's will say like the same thing be in the early break if there's like an early break just be in it so what will happen is that every rider that had to be in the early break is gonna ride to be in the early break and that's what kept the speeds also so high and yeah there was no early break so there was no like calmness in the race the whole week um but yeah for me it was also good because of course i was coming back from an injury so this was a good moment to get stronger again and um yeah going so next week going to stuttgart and then to the tour de france some girls that for example um lorena also she stopped after i think was it six days or five days and that is also because the giro this year was is pretty close on the tour de france so um a lot of teams i know were struggling to have like a full team at the Giro and a full fresh team at the Tour de France it is um, because you have to recover from this and also if you want to do like really good in the Giro and in the Tour you have to train for it like girls want to go on altitude and if you want to go on altitude before the Giro then the effect is already less in like the Tour so it was hard planning like, for me it was pretty good because I was standing still for seven weeks didn't race and was only on the trainer so for me it was kind of like a, well i won't say a training camp because this was pretty uh training camp but to like develop with again some race distance and some hardness and get some climbs in the legs because obviously the netherlands is uh, pretty flat so for me it's a good thing but yeah it is it is quite hard to to plan and especially if you want to do well in both stage races and um yeah we're gonna see how uh Anamiga's gonna do it of course she did the vuelta and then the Giro and then the tour but yeah she's she's a legend it's um 
insane how she how she raced again um this Giro and you can always see in the GC like every GC rider has always like a bad day but we'll come back on it but Annemiek just doesn't have those bad days I think yeah she had that little crash in the downhill but that's it and yeah oh my gosh I'm sorry I keep drawing um but yeah she just keeps going and yeah, next year, I don't know if it, if it will be weird to not have her at the start. Because it's also, like, if you imagine, like, we got, we kind of riders, like, um, re- retired already. It keeps going, and then there will be a new legend, and... It will open up probably the GC a bit more, and maybe there will be a bit more fight. And um, but yeah, we will see what happens. I don't know, and um, it's gonna just be really different, I guess, when she is not there. I have to say, and maybe there will be a bit more fight, but it's also. Um, yeah, like I said, she she she's a legend, and it's also a pretty honor to race against her. So today, it's a day of unpacking my bag, washing all my stuff. Maybe if I want to go for a little ride, but uh, for the rest, I'm just chilling and um, doing nothing. <laughs> well, thank you all. And, um, yeah, see you soon. Bye. To the point that Anamik might not be at her best, and we will find out in a couple weeks' time, the tour presence has changed the game of the Giro because we didn't have SD Works at their best at this race. I think Neve did an honorable job trying to represent the team, and obviously they, they still won two stages with Lorena Weebus and with Blanca Voss. Vass? Blanca Vass? Voss? Blank, Blanca? Jesus. Blanca Voss. Blanca Voss. And so it wasn't a bad race for them by any means, but it wasn't the SC Works show that we've seen all year. And so it wasn't like Anamik was up against the best team in the business at the moment. And even to that, you know, her main rival in my eyes was Elisa Longo-Borghini, who Mm. crashed out early in the race. So after winning a stage. So it wasn't a level playing field. So I I do think, Lauren, you have a good point that we don't know if this is her at her best or if it was the tour effect on the Giro, that it's just not the best of the best for the Peloton showing up at this race like it has been before the tour impacted the calendar. And I think for Anamik as well, like the way she raced every stage, she was racing for the win, but also she just wanted to go hard. You could see that. She wanted a hard race, and I think that's all part of the plan. She's off to altitude, I believe, now um, to do her final block before she tapers. So I saw... um, (laughs) Till's shaking her head that she's like, mm, I don't know. I think she's going to be good at the tour. 
Um. Uh, <laughs> oh, only that I was thinking it seemed like on a cu- couple of those stations, Lauren, that she was um, not willing to let the break go because she needed a hard training day. Yeah. So it was hard <laughs> exactly. to know, you know, that she's <laughs> you know? she's coming in tapered at all. So I, it's I, as you say, it's so hard to know. Was that just a really good block of training? And I, I think for everyone, though, we just hope she's at her peak and that was just, again, scraping the surface. Well, I just... I just want to see a massive battle between her and Demi. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, movie star yeah. have been great. I think they're going to bring a fantastic team. There's going to be great teams at the tour. But, um, you know, SD Works is going to show up with their absolute A team. And it's just going to be, I'm hoping, I think everyone's hoping that follows women's cycling for an epic battle. And, you know, Demi previously um, in all the, the other races has just been head and shoulders above. So I think we just all want to see that. Yeah, we've been. It's so weird the script's been flipped. Sorry, Matt. Yeah. It's so weird the script's been flipped because it used to be like, ah, if only anyone could beat yeah. Anamik. And now it's like, okay, <laughs> Anamik, please beat SD Works. <laughs> yeah, we've been. No, no, we've been hyping up that battle for the whole season, really, haven't we? Volering versus uh, mm-hmm. Van Vluten at the tour. And. And that's only gotten more intriguing as we get closer. You know, Van Vluten's found the form that we knew she probably would. And meanwhile, Demi's up at altitude, you know, living the van life and doing yoga in the mountains and, you know, (laughs) making everybody jealous and seemingly very relaxed and all that. Um, But it'll be interesting to see how their their respective paths, uh, you know, take them to the tour. You know, will Demi be able to come up nicely? Will, uh, will Van Vluten be able to hold her form or even improve from the Giro? And, and how will they compare to each other? Because, you know, Van Vluten was obviously a level above at last year's tour, but Vollering mm. has improved so markedly this year and been so good for the early part of the season that you'd think they'd be closer together, but we just really don't know. And, uh, you know, we look at the Tourmalet later, and that's uh, the Otakam, isn't it, that they race or the... I'm getting myself the tourmalade, the tourmalade. The tourmalade. yeah so that mm. you know 17 kilometer climb a tough climb which would traditionally suit van vluten over volering but we just don't know we they haven't had that many battles on big climbs this year and uh yeah it's it's such an intriguing battle and i just hope that nothing gets in the way of those two being able to duke it out yeah they've only really had like one one climbing one massive climb mm. that they've battled against and and it was Vollering who came out on top of that duo, and uh, and Guy Riolini was incredible. I loved <laughs> Anamik's quote after the seventh stage, I believe, when she won, and she was like, "I finally got de- got Guy Riolini in front of me." <laughs> it's just just hilarious. She was so sassy this race. It was great. <laughs> but I think since that since that defeat on that climb, Van Vluten stepped it up so much that it's just like, yeah, going into the tour, it's like. We're all just, I, don't know, I hate this saying, but we're like licking our lips ready for like some completely insane bike racing. And The other thing about that stage, the Tourmalet stage, is that there's uh, the Col d'Aspan happens right before it. And it's quite similar to stage seven of last year's tour where Van Vluten just went really early on some early climb and just rode everyone off her wheel and won by like four or five minutes or whatever it was. So I think Vollering will be looking at that stage and be feeling quite nervous about the prospect of Van Vluten going long and winning by a lot. So I think you know, that'll be obviously be a big battle that day, but I think that early climb will be quite decisive as well, actually. It's hard to know what to take away from the Giro. Uh, just because that 
the Tour de France femme avec Swift is 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 having a far bigger impact on the Giro this year than than last year, just because the Tour de France was untested for the women last year. I I still believe, and I know riders who still felt like the Giro Rossa, the Giro Donne was a that's still the premier biggest event of the calendar last year, and they were really targeting it. When I just think we've seen so many riders using it as as training, uh, they're either skipping it or they're coming straight down from altitude and potentially not coping, which I think may have affected Neem Fisher-Black. Uh, so I just think it was a nice little taster, but certainly, hey, we're not going to go on about where its position is on the calendar. We can't change it, but certainly it's had a biggest impact on this year, I think, than, than last year. Yeah, and a curious point will be who, the riders that have lined up um, at the Giro, how many of them actually do we know crossing over to the tour? Because Anamik is such a seasoned rider um, that you know she could handle that sort of load in her legs. Not to mention, I think, Abby, in all your race recaps, it was always mentioned about the heat. Now, that takes an incredible toll on your body. That's like being at altitude, actually, but racing at a super high heart rate. Um so I do wonder for some of the younger riders who are planning on doing the double, how they'll cope with that. Yeah, I think it'll be a a week or so before we know exactly who is doing the double. I know from the audio diaries that Nina Kessler is doing the double. Yeah, there's m- multiple teams that just haven't made the call on the final tour roster yet because of the Giro. Like, Little Trek, for example, Elisa Longaborghini is now eyeing the tour. She was before, but I think with her crashing out, having been on the best form she's been on this year, maybe even last year, last year as well, I think Trek's going to focus heavily on her. But they're also, you know, play. They're also thinking about riders like Brody Chapman, who didn't race the Giro but was supposed to, but got sick. Riders like Aliza Balsamo, who's back on her bike after her horrendous ride London crash. And and like Gaia Riolini finished third overall. It's a massive result for her. And she's super young, but with mm-hmm. that kind of momentum going into the tour, will they take her? So there's a lot of question marks around the race. I think for me, one of my biggest, one of my biggest kind of huh, things looking at the Giro, looking at the tour to come is what FDJ Suez is going to do. They had a really disappointing Giro, I would say, after Mm. finishing second last year with Marta Cavalli. And this year, they really weren't a factor in the race at all, which was they've kind of had a rough season. And I'm hoping that by the tour and Tour Scandinavia coming up after that they can rebound a bit because it's such an awesome team that I just have so much respect for. And I'm curious how they're going to do because Cecily looked like she was coming good in the later parts of the race but still didn't have the top end to be there at the finish. I think another good point with this race, along with the heat, Lauren, is that everyone said it was one of the fastest Giros they've ever mm-hmm. raced. Sarah Roy, who's done, you know, countless Giros, she's done, she she said that this this race was really fast and every ra- every day was race like a one day. We can actually hear from Sarah, so let's drop that in really quick. I think that the Giro this year was a little different to the past editions that I can remember. <laughs> um, yeah, this was my eighth one, but I think each stage was raced almost like a one-day race. So 
yeah, there wasn't really a chill stage where you just kind of got to paddle along and, you know, even if we just let a break go and then the bunch just chilled for until the end for a while. But, yeah, that never really happened. And I think that's just kind of representative of women's cycling now where every race really is sort of raced from the beginning. And, yeah, so in the end, they end up being quite fast. Um, you know, there was a couple of longer stages of around 130k, but yeah, every race was well under four hours. Um, but yeah, quite intense racing. So I guess you could say that it was quite a fast Euro. <laughs> um, yeah, it wasn't really until the last stage that uh, it was sort of easier. And that was a combination of having a headwind pretty much the entire way and also a lot of descending. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'd say that um, each stage was on from the gun. So yeah, it was pretty cool. I think it will be really interesting to see what happens once Anamique retires. Um, I think for races like this, um, if she's not there, then it kind of just opens up a bit more opportunities for the other sort of the next level GC riders just below her. And it could make things a little more interesting because she does seem to win by a huge margin, almost like she's, um, you know, not really challenged for GC uh, unless Demi Vollering is there. So that's the other thing. Demi is really stepping up now and almost fulfilling that anamique role where if she's in the race <laughs> she generally can win by a huge margin as well so yeah i'm interested to see if once anamique retires that then demi almost just steps into that that category where she you know is the one to beat um and it might end up just being the same story all over again <laughs> Um, and it's, you know, it's awesome to have these standout riders, but yeah, it does, I guess, make it a little less interesting if the same people are winning all the time, but I mean, they can't help being so good, I suppose. <laughs> um, but that's the, the thing with the Giro being where it is in the calendar this year too, that Demi actually didn't start obviously because she's preparing for the tour which is a bigger goal for her or well, must be i'm just assuming she wasn't at the start of the duo and so then anamique really wasn't challenged for gc um but they'll both be at the tour and i think if the calendar was slightly different where the tour was um separated further from the duo then perhaps Demi would have lined up for the Giro as well. And then, yeah, the racing could have been quite different or, yeah, maybe Anamique wouldn't have won. Um, and so, yeah, with the calendar, with the Giro being where it is, um, it might be nicer if we could sort of place these grand tours of ours. Now we have three the Vuelta, the Giro, and the Tour, if they were all around the same time as the men's, maybe if they were sort of just 
off the back of the men's tour and then you know then the women's world has started once there's finished or in the last couple of days um it could be a nicer calendar maybe uh i don't know i guess there's a good reason i'm not the one who makes these decisions but um yeah there's really only 13 days between the end of the giro and the beginning of the tour and there are quite a few riders who pull out of the giro um to prepare for the tour like Lorena Webus for example um so yeah and then missing some big names as well but I mean for someone like me who has a different kind of role in a team in these grand tours uh and also being a lot older sort of a bit more resilient with these days on the bike I think um doing these two tours in full back to back is actually fine and having just about two weeks between is a perfect amount of recovery but i think being a gc rider there's so much pressure and stress and um mental energy that goes into performing at such a high level for quite a long time you know eight or nine days so yeah having less than two weeks between two huge events like that's probably not ideal um and yeah we could see some better racing if uh, the calendar was slightly different but um there's a lot of clashes this year it's been a really interesting year with the racing i think like there was one point earlier on a few months ago where there were like four races on four 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 or so yeah things happening at the same time and i remember being injured on the couch just thinking holy shit what do i what do i watch my god there's so much going on (laughs) um how are these teams getting to all these races but yeah now with the tour there's actually a lot of riders that won't have any racing for about seven weeks or so if they're not selected for the tour so yeah it's um and then with the world championships being in august there's riders like chloe diget for example or um yeah other track riders that won't be racing because they're preparing for the track world championships which i think start just maybe three or four days after the tour finishes and again if some of these track riders are doing the tour they may finish earlier and so it just changes the whole dynamic of things and i know it's really tricky to fit everything into one season um but yeah i guess there's always going to be clashes but um this year's been particularly clashy so hopefully next year it's a little bit better but again then we have the olympics so who knows <laughs> so some really awesome insight from sarah after the race kind of thinking back on it and i think it's definitely something to take into account going into the tour that the the race was raced really really hard every day there wasn't a single breakaway stage the entire race Bizarre. when was the last time that happened i mean that's so weird every every day hannah said oh tomorrow hopefully a breakaway it was never a breakaway not once i think it was still quite like there was still a lot of attacks mm. at different times but i also obviously we only got we had only the two hours of coverage and you know i'm catching up with that in the wee hours in the morning but it seemed like there was just so many teams that never featured, like so mm-hmm. many teams got 
in quotation marks, nothing out of this tour. And I just, like, I didn't even see a lot of those world tour teams uh, on the screen. So not only were they not getting results, I wasn't seeing them get much coverage either. So it's just, um, but yeah, and I also think the heat, Lauren, I just, I keep, I wrote down, like, I keep coming back to, I just feel like the heat is going to play such a vital role in the Tour de France Femme. I think it's going to, like, imagine if it's hot over there now, another two weeks, two, three weeks, it's, it's, it's going to be absolutely roasting for these guys. Yeah, Matt, are you going to pack a jacket? I don't even know if I'll pack a jacket. <laughs> oh, yeah, I will. Yeah. Just, I'm, I'm jealous. I've, I've been uh, caught out too many times at the tour at the top of mountains, so yes, I will. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's, again, like I think I said this before, it's just really untested. Like I was even thinking about Neem Fisher Black, like coming down from altitude. I just... Even for the women, I just don't think there's been a many studies done into um, athletes that young doing that amount of endurance training at that age. Um, yes. Obviously, they've had years and years and huge blocks of men doing it. But when I think of endurance athletes, I think of iron, like people who race Ironman, triathlon, um, possibly marathon. But even that's you know between two two thirty. Um, and I just, there hasn't really been that much study on the impact of that. And so, and it's just, you know, these riders are getting younger and younger. So I think at times it's going to go well. And then other times it's just for no apparent reason, it's not going to work because it's still so new. As we talked about, Anna Meek sort of brought this in and now everyone's doing it, but it's so new and untested. And we can't just look at the guys and go, oh, that's worked for them when the women's you know, are so different from, and the makeup from the men and, you know, sort of peak so much later in their, in their age and career. So yeah, I'm really interested to see how it plays out. Anonymique is like such an, such a bad, <laughs> this is going to sound bad, but it's yeah. not, it does, it's, do, bad it's not example. bad like as it sounds. Yeah. yeah she's a bad example <laughs> yeah. to follow because she's just such a, the amount of mileage she does is just nuts. Like it, every, any, I would advise literally zero people to try to replicate her training. If you see it on Strava, nobody, no one should ever replicate that because it's just mad. The amount of calling she does. I remember like being a pro and following her on Strava and being like, Mm. I, this is why I'm never going to be good because like no one can do that amount of training. And I think like for her altitude works super well, but yeah, it is a good question tills like what, how well does it work for the younger riders or for anyone? Hannah said, yesterday or Sunday that it's it's a really individual thing but people are just kind of like okay Demi's doing it Anamik's do it doing it we mm. should do it too without really looking into whether or not it is working and I know like having lived with a professional who has had altitude altitude go very poorly for him in the past it it can definitely have a negative effect and I think on that point firstly like Anamik is the first to say years ago that don't do what I do. Exactly. Pretty much. <laughs> don't try this at home, kids. Particularly <laughs> when it came out that that video, the videos that went viral when she was training with a man and everything, um, she did come out and say, like, this works for her. But I think people forget as well sometimes you brought it up, Tills, that the age difference. Mm. I mean, mm. Anna Meek really, for me, um, 2016, I raced with her and she was good. And at the Olympics, she was going to win. She was fantastic. Mm. But it was really after the Olympics that it was like, holy, wow, she is something else. But she'd been racing since 2000 and was it eight, I think, or seven. I'm not quite sure when her career started and she was older. 
and you know she's approaching 40 now but mm. we're looking at these young writers and we're talking about 20 to 24 year olds sometimes 19 and yes okay we've got the freaks like Pojaka and the men's peloton doing what they're doing but again you can't compare men and women and I don't know what they're doing but um it's just yeah, it's it's a whole different ball game now. And on the topic of altitude, it really doesn't work for everyone. And you know, the AIS was famous for the altitude camps. Um, they have a facility. You live high, train low, um, and they did multiple studies on it. And honestly, some athletes. I remember Charlotte Shara Giller. I think she used to come out of it absolutely flying. And then there were other athletes that just really didn't do much for them. So. Yeah, it's it's case by case. It works great for some. Um, Anna Meek is one of those that seems to adapt to it. And for others, it just doesn't work, but you have to test it. We're so quick to forget that progression of Anna Meek. Sorry, Abby, like you, yeah. you forget that she was a domestic. She didn't come yeah. out and, 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 and for a very long time, you know, during Gracie's era, you know, racing for Gracie and, and that era of her evolving herself uh into that is um i think we forget that a lot mm -hmm. and that's why i do call it like i don't call her the goat but i think you know she hasn't won through various eras like it, it has been the more previous era that we've been a part of where we've seen this incredible talent and almost freak like you know ath athleticism that we've seen from her but i think young athletes need to see where she's come from and to be looking at her age and progression and i think i don't want to harp on too much about it but Voss is a, a great example of an athlete that won the world championships at 19 years of age, first year pro, unheard of, right? And she was so dominant. When I entered the sport, it was just Voss, Voss, Voss. And I remember one of the male pros just joking with me and saying, isn't it just always a race for second with you guys? And I was like, ha ha, well, yeah, okay. She can sprint, <laughs> she can climb, she can do everything. Then she completely burnt out. At the age mm. of about, I think, 24, 25, she burnt out. And, you know, now. She disappeared. Yeah. She did. She disappeared for a while and she reset and she's come back and she is the GOAT, really, if you think about it. The, the span of her career and what she's won and just what she's done is just incredible. But, um, again, that's a, that's a great example of a young writer who was just so talented and went too deep for too long. I want to get to the goat in a second because she had an interesting, not not the best week of racing, but just on the altitude for anyone who's listening who might be like a young rider or someone who's curious about altitude training, it, my experience with it, it to be successful is you really need to really need to dial in your nutrition before going to altitude because you're burning a lot more. You're burning the candle at every end when you're at altitude. So you can't have any hiccups in your nutrition if you're going to go to altitude to train. So that's the last, just for, just <laughs> if anyone's curious about tips, training tips. There you go. Whole new, oh, I, I wrote it down. Tech. I wrote it down. I wrote it down. It was, it was, <laughs> we talked about tech in like the last episode for like 20 minutes. And, uh, and now we're, now we're talking about training tips. So this is 
totally just ridiculous territory for us. Um, let's talk about let's talk about the goat. I think for for Anamique, like this is we're going to be talking about her a lot more in a couple weeks, I'm sure. So we can we can move on from Anamique a bit. But yeah, I did I did write a story on that progression of her be going from domestique to kind of the the Giro rider of our time. So if you're interested in that, it it exists. Um, in terms of Voss, okay, so I was looking back through the stats, and this is the first time that Voss has raced the Giro and not won a stage since Crazy. 2006. Crazy. And in that, on that occasion, she still finished second overall. She would have to be the most disappointed rider coming away from it. Her and, and from Chloe, the sounds of it, maybe. Yeah. And, yeah, and Elisa. Very drama-filled week. But <laughs> I think for Voss, like, going with the with the – kind of thought of going into the tour, which we assume she will be one of the riders going to the tour from the Giro. She's not had a great year. A lot of that has to do with the surgery she had earlier in the year. But going into the Giro, I think she would have thought she was on better form. And from riders in the race, it sounds like she just doesn't look very good at the moment. She doesn't look like the Voss that we're used to. She doesn't look like she's on form. Mm -hmm. And that sprint that she came second in the first one um, on stage seven, eight, stage eight, when she finished second behind Blanca Voss, she, she looked like maybe she had a mechanical, but it, it wasn't that she just didn't have the legs, which is wild when you think about it. Like when was the last time that Voss was perfectly positioned and didn't mess up a sprint and didn't win it? I mean, not just a sprint, but like a sprint against not Weebus, you know, like that, that stage was tailor made for her and she couldn't win it. And that's just, it's weird. It's a weird, we're in like uncharted waters for the last couple of years. Since she came back from that hiatus, she's really been one of the top riders in the game. And this year we've seen basically nothing of her. And I fully assumed she was going to win a stage of the Giro and her 33rd Giro victory. And it didn't happen, which is just crazy. So many of those finishes though, that we've seen Voss in, like you think, how are you there? Like you, you shouldn't be there up with the, you shouldn't be going toe to toe with Charlotte Cool. Um, and so I, I do think so many of the wins and performances that Voss has had has been race smarts. Um, just, she's always in the right position. She's, if for any young riders out there, again, training tips, race tips, if you ever get the privilege to watch Marion, uh, be in a race with Mariana Voss, she's like a Zwift beacon. You just want to see whatever she's doing throughout the race. Like it's, in, she's incredible to watch. However, I think, Again, it's sort of an example of riders almost catching up to her. So um, I think, you know, Anamique is a very different rider from Voss in the stages that she wins. And again, I think the whole lift of the peloton uh, is affecting Voss's performance as well. But as you say, she's not at 100% fitness and probably has that kick like we've seen her. But because she can get around as probably the smartest bike racer in the peloton, she's still getting herself into those positions. She'll also be at the tour in a few weeks, and being the champion that she is, she knows how to get up for big races. And yeah, she didn't get the results she wanted at the Giro, but I can't imagine there'd be too many times in her career where she'd miss out on one target and then miss out on the next one. So I, I would be surprised if she doesn't feature heavily at the tour. Um, yeah, surprised to see her not win a stage at the Giro, but remember she did win two stages of the the welter early in the season so she's she's done a little bit but yeah not the same uh, freakish performance that we might have expected 
Yeah, and the Vuelta was a weird one because there wasn't like, I feel like it was a little bit of a different field, although she did have two wins there that were just like completely insane. So <laughs> good point, Matt. Um, yeah, I, I think it was maybe just disappointing to see her not take that 33rd mm -hmm. stage. Everyone's like with the tour going on and, and Cav and everything going on there and everyone yeah, harping the on about the, the record, the record. Mm -hmm. um, meanwhile, we've got Voss who like, I don't know how much longer she's going to race. She's signed through 2025 with Yumbo Visma. So assuming another two years and in that time, if she can take three, four more Giro titles, then she'll have beaten the tour record at the Giro and of those title of those wins I mean it's like mountaintops sprints time trials mm -hmm. it's literally everything overall victories she's won the overall twice like she's or four times no twice and she's like she's just amazing she's unbelievable I even though she didn't win a stage like she's still notable in that it will be she'll be one of the riders to watch going into the tour and also just the stats. The stats are 2006. I've said this before about Voss, but one of the things I love about it, one of the many things I love about her is just the fact that she still just wants to keep winning. Like, I think for mm. for some people, when you'd won as many races as she had, you'd be kind of like, yeah, right, I didn't get that one, but look at all these other cool things I've done. But for her, it feels like every win just means as much as, you know, her first win. And I, I really respect that. I think that that's a really good attitude to have. And that's probably a big part of why she's won so much along the way. You know, it's not, she's never content to just sit back. She always wants to win and that's, that's cool. And she, you could clearly see she was so disappointed. I mean, happy for Consoni when she won that stage. There's a really nice picture of, of her shaking the hand with a big smile. Um, and I'm sure she's excited to see all these young, fresh faces coming through. She always seems to, like you were saying, Matt, she'll take that disappointment and turn it into to victory the next time. Whereas I feel there, there are other riders that just get beaten down and it takes a while to come back up. But I'm sure she's back on the bike in the Netherlands now wherever she is training and just ready to to get going for the tour. And you know what? The World Championships, I would say. I don't know. Hannah called Lorena Weebus and I can't not see that. <laughs> like nah, Grace Brown. I, I, Grace Brown said it's like sickening. She said it's like a real, like the um, lot of Capecchi, but she doesn't really have the team around her. Like it sounds like a really hard, but I'm going to eat my socks here. Like the way that Lorena Weebus is turning herself around into a mountain climber now, then yes, probably. But um, I would say um, it was a really nice send off for Marta Bastinelli. Mm. Am I saying that correctly? I'm so scared about pronouncing uh names because um you got me on the podcast so you like can't do worse than that. <laughs> english is like my second language i'm australian so i just am <laughs> quite nervous about pronouncing those please don't come for me i'm not very good at it but yeah it was a really nice send-off i think for for her and, and and uae um that last stage as a flip story yeah absolutely i also love the the kind of full circle moment of consoni winning the final stage last year and the final stage this year and she's such an exciting rider mm. she had like such a rough going the beginning of this year and I, yeah i'm so happy to see her win and she's always like she's just so raw and emotional and she was so happy to take this win and definitely for bastianelli who's been in the sport for 18 years her, it was her last day racing and it was yeah would have been just such a massive moment for the team to take that victory i hope they 
had some really great celebrations afterwards. Um, how much of a flex of it? Um, how much of a flex is it when Anna Meek has won so many um, uh, pink jerseys that she can hand one out to every teammate? Like that should be standard. Like if I if my GC rider wins a Grand Tour, like I need to put that on my wall. Like give me the spare. Like that is just such a flex and should be standard for all 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 grand tour winners and her final yeah, i mean she final pink yeah, jersey yeah final pink jersey but like yeah she took the first one and held it through all the entire way. week after the the completely insane time trial that was canceled and yeah winning that first winning that second stage first real stage and holding holding the pink jersey like not even really holding it it was it was like the race was over from the get go but it still wasn't boring. It still wasn't too bad. Like I actually, I didn't mind it. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was sewn up. But I also think what happens is that when the GC is such a big gap between maybe one or two or in another race going on at the moment, one and two, and then three and four, there's a big gap. You see those secondary and third um, teams start fighting it out. So it sort of then starts playing into movie star and animique um, during the week because you started seeing, uh, you know, Ewers trying to fight for her position or second and third trying to fight for their position. And so, you know, movie star doesn't have to do as much work. Uh, so I did I did still find that battle in the minor placings pretty exciting and just teams trying to get anything out of this race. No, I think a really good point is the kind of the breakthrough stars of this Giro. Like while Anamique was kind of doing her on a meek thing we had a ton of other storylines that we could follow one of them being veronica ewers and her fight to stay on the podium and then kind of tussle with um Menyaldi to stay in fourth place overall and that third place for veronica is is just a massive result like i think she went into this race having had a really rough start to the season and not feeling super great about how it had gone so far and maybe she was a little bit bummed about finishing second behind Elise Langaborghini but she still beat Van Vluten to the line and it's just such a huge result for a rider who's literally only been in the world tour peloton for one full year before this season last year was her first year racing in the world tour so it's crazy to think that she's come so far to finish fourth overall at the Giro and she's one of the breakthrough riders of, of the Giro in my eyes, as well as, you know, Allie Wollaston, your call, Tills, for the rider to watch. She had such a good race in the final stage, taking third. That's a massive result for her. And one of the one of the other breakthrough riders, like she's been on the scene for a really long time, but to finish second overall at the at the Giro, Juliette Labousse, like she had an awesome race and so did DSM to keep that second place overall and she'll be going into the tour if she is going to the tour her home tour like as a French woman finishing second overall at the Giro and going looking ahead to the tour that's got to feel like a really huge boost to your confidence yeah and she was fourth overall the tour last year so podium this year I mean I I feel like all going well it'll be Van Vluten and following in those top two places in whatever order they end up. But yeah, that podium feels like it's pretty open or at least Labrousse is a, a very good shot. Can we talk about Antonia Niedermeyer as well? Absolutely. You read my mind. Um, my rider, you should know for the week, Antonia Niedermeyer, and that win that she took was just incredible. And the final, Ooh. like 
it was like a nail-biting finale watching her ride to the line being chased by the world champion in the pink jersey and she's so young and it's her first year on canyon Rams elite team she was on their development team last year and to take that stage and then to go from that winning a stage of the giro a world tour you know grand tour to crashing the next day just a horrific crash the roller coaster that that would have been and just like I think such an impressive victory and just such a devastating end to her Giro because but I mean also she's she's so young she's got so much ahead of her (laughs) Mm. that's the thing like she's what 20 years old uh I for those that are interested in learning more about her story I kind of dug into her history a little bit and wrote a story for Escape Collective last week after her stage win um so yeah give that a read if you're interested but the, the thing that stood out to me was just how obviously how young she is and how successful she's been so young but you look at every step of her progression along the way and each step up has been very fast she's had success you know she was a a mountain runner early in her career and then went to ski mountaineering and in each of those steps she was very successful straight away and then she took to cycling and was successful straight away and you know last year as a 19 year old she won two stages in the overall the tour of the Ardèche, which is a, a fantastic effort and then here in you know in the giro to win a stage uh first world tour win is is amazing at 20 and yeah obviously a horrible way for her race to end and no one wanted to see that it was a horrible crash but the future is is so so bright for her and another really good prospect for canyon sram as well you know we've talked about that this season how after a few years of them struggling to get the big results they've they seem to have found a really good bunch of young riders that are putting up great results and really showing themselves and uh, i think the future is really exciting for for that team and for Nita Meyer in particular. And that team's always been actually really good at identifying talent, nurturing it and bringing it up to a certain level. I think um, sometimes what happens with that team is some riders just stay a bit too long. Um, and sometimes you need a change in, in order to progress further. But, um, you know, they've got some really exciting riders and it, it's nice to see um, that team really in the mix and getting organised throughout the the whole race actually on that note i actually have another audio diary from sarah roy from after the stage yesterday she talks a bit about neve bradbury the younger rider who won the zwift academy a couple years ago and has been on canyon stram for a couple years now australian um really incredible human being she's very like soft-spoken um very very interesting if you ever get a chance like hear any interviews with her i highly recommend Uh, maybe i'll get her on the podcast she's just really quiet like it's kind of hard to have an interview (laughs) (laughs) um but she's just fantastic and she went into the race as one of their gc riders and had a little bit of a rough go but yeah sarah talks about that so let's let's hear from sarah again hey abby sorry i nearly forgot to send you a voice message today um already packed up said goodbye to the team and um just hanging out in the city of obia at the moment i've had some fish and chips for dinner and i've just had a gelato and considering on continuing back into another gelato shop (laughs) to try some different flavors from a different place but it's so freaking hot the gelato melted basically as they were like scooping it into the cone so um yeah today was another really hot day i reckon yesterday and today were the hottest 
um, stages out there. And yeah, just, it was actually quite funny in the Pelo. Riders were just going psycho for bottles and water and just taking biddens from other teams that weren't their own Swannies. Um, yeah, there was a lot of desperation out there. But um, yeah, what happened today in the actual race? I think everybody will be pretty grateful that it wasn't um, raced really aggressively. Um, there was a climb 5k into the race, which was a bit of a worry because um, it was pretty solid around 5k at five and a half percent or so. And um, you know, I think there would have been a few people <laughs> that weren't sure if they'd get over that one. But yeah, it was raced pretty. Uh, it was pretty chill in the bunch. So yeah, good for us. And then around 70k in, there was another big berg to get over, which was a bit of a sticking point again. Um, you know, a few uncertainties with how many we would get over as well from our team. But um, yeah, again, it wasn't raced um, very hard. We we did have Paulina on the front to sort of pick up the pace a little bit. Um, but yeah, it didn't really cause any damage. And we uh, ended up going to the line with pretty much a bulk of the bunch, um, which meant it was a big mass sprint. Uh, and we were all in for Chloe. Um, Tiff and I actually had so much fun. I had a lot of fun racing today, following Tiff around, um, just negotiating just the fast bunch, the really nice descents actually. It was really fun descending at the front and just trusting all the wheels in front. Um, and yeah, actually there was, there was quite a lot of descending today. Um, so yeah, in the end it was a nice, nice stage on the legs, to be honest. Um, a lot of down and then, um, uh, what was I going to say? Just at the top of the, the main climb, which, you know, when it came up on my hammerhead, like that it was 11 Ks and I just sort of shit myself for a second being like, Oh God, here we go. But, um, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't super steep and it wasn't raced super fast. But then when you got to the top, you didn't just get to descend 11 Ks. You're just kind of hanging around at the top on this sort of plateau. And then it was like rolling hills for another 20 K. And on all of these little hills, some people were attacking and, you know, I was, pumped to be in great position but then that also meant that I needed to sort of cover all these attacks so it was kind of hard up there um but yeah I came into the sprint and I was following Tiff around and she did a great job leading Chloe and I around and then I don't know I think it was about 1k and um things started we started to get a bit swarmed and so we had to um yeah ask Tiff to peel off and then I took over um so I went a bit earlier again then we would have liked but uh, I think we did a pretty good lead out for the numbers that we had there in the final and it was pretty hectic it was really fast it was a big bunch um, but yeah I'm happy that I I went through that final corner on the front um, and just you know went for as long as I could and I just stuck to one side and hoped that Chloe would find her way around because um, that's basically how she likes to be supported in sprints so um, yeah, she felt that she got a bit boxed in and ended up finishing fourth. But so not the win that we were hoping for after some really good sort of lead outs in previous sprint stages where we felt like it was really starting to come together and that, you know, this might be the one. So kind of an anticlimax, really, <laughs> finishing the Giro is funny because it's, yeah, it's a big one. It's a grand tour. Um, some really great opportunities, you know, like nine nine days of opportunities and then 
um, yeah, kind of walking away with a bit of drama in our team, I guess, from that first day being cancelled, with that time trial being rained out, um, but having Chloe crash and then sort of racing the rest of the tour quite sore. She was carrying a donut around and sitting on a donut. She had a sore bum. And, you know, then Antonia with her big win, but then crashing out the next day and needing some dental work and leaving the tour. Um, and then also we came into the tour with Neve Bradbury as a GC hope, but she's just not quite feeling herself. Um, and yeah, the first road stage, she was off the back a bit. So lost time on GC there. And in the end was, uh, you know, working <clears throat> for the rest of the days. And, um, so yeah, I don't know. It feels like it just, these things come and go so quickly. I think I said that yesterday, but, um, yeah, pretty happy for myself, actually, to get through these sort of 10 days away after the year that I've had. Um, this is the, the best I've felt all year, and it's taken a really long time to get here. Um, and I mean, I only had two weeks of training for the Giro, and I did as much as I could in that time, you know, some heat training in the in the heat suit. Um, and yeah, I just really killed myself for those two weeks to get here in the best shape that I could. And I feel like I've come out feeling even better. So I'm really happy with that. Um, and we'll see what happens now for the rest of the year. Thank you for listening to my jibber jibber. And it's, it's really hard, I think, for for young riders to process that, particularly if we look at how well yeah, Neve Bradbury did last year. It was a breakthrough performance almost. We, we couldn't stop talking about it. And then I think going into this year as a GC rider um, to not fulfill that expectation of herself is super hard. And, um, yeah, hopefully she just has the support around her to bounce back from that because she is talented and she's a hard worker and she's really stuck it out to be where she is. Yeah, she had a rough time in the pandemic. Um like being so far away from home and being stuck in Europe and she didn't get to go home for a really, really long time. And I remember talking to her at the end of 2020 and it was just like Mm -hmm. really, she didn't know she wanted to keep racing at all. And then to come back in 2022 and have such a great, great time at the Giro, this will be a blow for her. But I think like that team has, has hired some new riders in the last year that I think are really changing the atmosphere there and making it, a more successful place to be. And I think Sarah Roy is actually one of those riders for sure. But I think uh, like um, Neve's an absolutely beautiful soul. She comes from a gorgeous cycling family uh, in Melbourne. And um, I think we forget that she had a really bad accident. I think it was in the London races uh, where she hit that signpost in the middle of the road. So her build up for this was um, a lot of it, obviously for the sponsors on Zwift. Um, And, you know, uh, so I think she didn't have the best lead in. I, I thought it was interesting. I felt like like Sarah Roy was really showing, I think she might actually be on a contract here, but I, I really saw Sarah Roy playing that role of really trying to not necessarily mother, but really try to pass on a lot of that experience. And I think it's, we sort of saw quite a few, as you talked about you as being a first year, sort of still quite new to the Peloton. I think it is a little bit more challenging for these younger, newer riders who are taking on these GC roles 
because usually it's lost on a mountain and at the end of the day it's just you. It's not like in Mm. a sprint where there's a thousand different decisions and there's so many sliding door moments that, yes, your team can work all day but you got boxed and Mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily you but you're sort of seeing on the mountain stages it's just you, it's just a fitness test and then you didn't have it on the day. So I think that sort of pressure can be quite difficult. Um, but all of those women, great teams rally around them and just, you know, the best thing about cycling is there's a there's another race around the corner. Man, isn't there just? <laughs> <laughs> what? What's around the corner? <laughs> um, can I just touch on, uh, speaking of mother hens, I need a Lizzie Dignan in my life. Like yeah. the way that she... I am going to say mothered. I'm sorry. I don't mean to box you. Yes, you're a mother. But the way she guided that little duckling of Guy Riolini through the <laughs> peloton, like if there was anyone that grew over this grand tour, it was it was um, Gaia. Yeah, and you see, it, um, do you know who needs one is actually Chloe Diggett because you saw her, like she wins you know, the amount know of places. One, but... No, exactly. She wouldn't. But the amount of places she gains in those in those sprints is ridiculous. Like she mm. she should have won so many more races by now, but she just can't hold she's not holding the wheel. And the Peloton knows that. So they know that they can chop the shit out of her and take that wheel. Where Rialini, I wouldn't go near her if I had a Loretta Hansen or Lizzie Diagnan around. Like Loretta Hansen's such a good bodyguard. But the way that Diagnan, if you watch her um, the amount of time she's looking back, the amount of time she grabbed her and took her to the front and t- got her into great position. And the best thing is that Dagen's actually also going really well at the moment. So, you know, you see a lot of these bodyguards that they're not actually the best people in the peloton. Yes, they can guide you through a sprint, but they may not be able to get you up the mountain and then also get you into good position. But yeah, I just, I really would love a Lizzie Dignan. And when, when we talk about what teams you would go to, you're not just looking at who's the best, but the way they develop these riders and look after them. Um, Guy Rielanini, you know, the way she's grown as a rider this this week was also a bit of a standout, I reckon. Can we just go back to Loretta Hansen? Did anyone yeah. else think she had amazing. an amazing tour? Amazing. And how great is she climbing? She just um, kept coming back. And then they yeah. were just like, Loretta's there. And I was like, what? But the Gruppetto. She's still there with there. like and climbers? Yeah. It was yeah. amazing. So yeah. that, that was great shout, to see. Also, she did really like, I must say, for the audio diaries, it's it's hard for them to remember to record an audio diary after a day of racing. I like cannot be more grateful to the, to the women who agreed to do the audio diaries for me. Loretta was always the first to deliver her audio diary um she would always she would do like really amazing pre-race audio diaries as well and answer questions from people on instagram like it was just man i yeah i feel like i've always really respected her as a rider but the audio diaries and like interacting with her to get those made me really respect her a lot as a human being as well because those aren't easy to to record i mean yeah She's so down to earth, like, and she's such a legend. Like, she's she's never had a big head, and I think that's that. Like, you can sometimes forget about her a little bit, but you know, I think she was on for an incredible season. She had an unreal summer in Australia, and then again, she crashed really early in the Spring Classics. Missed Paris Bay again. She's never done Paris Bay. Built herself back up. Had to go back home. She was in Melbourne for all of the spring, which just would have been heartbreaking for her to be watching. Built herself back up and and here she is again so 
yeah, absolute kudos to to where she's gotten herself back to. And, yeah, I think deserves a lot more promotion for how important she is to that team. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's an absolute asset. I think she has become, in my eyes, the super domestique in that team. Yeah. She is just so strong and she's diversifying as a rider too with every year um, her climbing abilities just continue to impress me as well. She's just always there. Um you know, which they, they need. I mean, they've got such a strong team this year, Trek, in terms of climbing, I think. Um, but, yeah, it's just good to see a really, like you said, Abby, a great human being um, succeeding. It was shit. She had some really bad luck this year, but I think the future holds really great things for her. In kind of the conversation of super domestiques, uh, she's not a domestique, but I do believe that she she deserves a mention, and that's Liana Lippert. She was... She was also incredible mm. in this race. Like there was the final stage. She was on the attack like all day. You could tell that she got a little bit of free range with Anamik having a massive buffer in the overall. And I'm just really excited to see next year is going to be such a weird year for the Peloton without having Anamik. Like in, it's like when Vanderbregen retired and there was like this massive, you like felt like you forgot something at home, but you couldn't quite remember what it is you're like rummaging through your pockets you're like i feel like something's <sighs> missing writing reviews i'm like i'm missing a name <laughs> yeah. here like this major contenders yeah <laughs> yeah exactly it's yeah. gonna feel like not typing like contenders on a week is loud now is gonna be like such a weird thing next year but i think movistar can feel really confident in their their hiring of of liana lippert for kind of the future of the team because she was she was riding really really well and definitely is an exciting prospect for when that team doesn't have Anamik as their GC leader. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned her because I, I know Gracie would want us to have mentioned Liana Lippert. Um, and yeah, great that she got some opportunities there and she is down to race the tour as well. So i very keen to see how that goes and hopefully she gets some chances there. As we've said a few times in, in recent episodes, you know, she's such an exciting rider and uh, yeah, as you said, Abby, next year once Van Vluten is gone, there'll be even more for her, but uh, with the tour right around the corner, um, I think that'll be exciting for them to to give her some opportunities too, particularly if, you know, Van Vluten's five minutes ahead on GC or something by stage two. I want to wrap up, I want to wrap up this episode by talking a little bit about what the Giro is going to be like in the future without Onamik. Because as we saw, you know, Demi skipped the the Giro. She's focused fully on the tour. At least uh, Ashley Mumapasio also skipped the Giro in favor of the tour. And Van Vluten has always taken this race as kind of the biggest race on her calendar. And she did that again this year, even with the tour coming up, um, which is obviously another huge target for her. And without her being in the Giro next year, it is going to be a massive year for Italians, I think. We have so many Italians in the Peloton that are just really, really close to that top step, and they haven't won the Giro since 2008. So they're going to be looking at a Anamique Van Vluten-less Peloton (laughs) at the Giro in 2024. And, of course, it's an Olympic year, so that always kind of messes with people's schedule and how people decide what races to do but it might be next year with the olympics that the giro is actually more of a target than the tour so i think it'll be a really interesting year next year without without onamique and it's going to be a really open general classification which is something that we've not seen in in seven years you mentioned there abby about it being seven years uh 
since, you know, Van Vleuten's been dominant or that since it's been that open. And of course, you know, we're talking about the Anna van der Breggen era as well. So this will be yeah, the first time in a long time that neither of those two will have been racing and you remove Van Vleuten from the GC in this year's race and it's it's pretty close at the top. It's only 30 seconds between Labus and Riolini and then you throw um, Lisa Longo-Borghini in there and, you know, a bunch of others, you know, yeah, it is very open next year and I think it'll make the race a lot more interesting and, yeah, it wasn't, I mean, personally, I found the Van Vleuten show a bit overbearing this year. It kind of took away a bit of the enjoyment. I understand what you're saying, Tills, about it not being a, totally disappointing, but for me, it will be more exciting next year when Van Vleuten is gone. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see who steps up. And uh, yeah, Marta Cavalli as well. It's another good one, obviously. Is a good point. No, I just wanted, um, Abby, before like you wrap up this piece, I just, yeah, want to say you, you guys did such a good job bringing the audio diaries and just trying to take us behind the scenes because um, I think there's another bike race going on at the moment. There's the Ashes, there's the F1, there's Wimbledon, there's so much other sport happening at the moment. And this race did everything they could to make sure that we didn't know what the F was going on. <laughs> and so I just think you and the and the riders, like, is just, and Hannah Barnes did a fantastic job. So thanks mm. for, I guess sharing what was actually going on in the race that helped a lot sort of be more Thank engaged. Thank you so much. Abby, we yeah. could have used like that content, I don't know, how many years ago when it was like searching on Twitter I mean, for like rogue videos years from ago when there was no live coverage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much. I, yeah, I enjoyed the making the coverage and it was great to have Hannah get behind a mic. I've been trying to get her to do podcasts with me for like, I don't know. How long I've known her? Seven, eight years. So that was, yeah, really fun. Um, I'm going to close out this episode. Having talked a bit about Anamique and this being her last Giro, I reached out to Iris Slappendil and also Grace Elvin, who you will be familiar with, to talk about Anamique and her progression through through the ranks to become the rider she is today. Iris was teammates with her on Rabobank when she first went pro back in the day and was part of that team that one Voss uh, yellow jersey. So she just sent me an 11-minute long audio message that I'm really excited to hear. <laughs> and we also have Gracie, who was part of the team that won Anamique her very first Giro. So two really great perspectives of Anamique as the the queen of the Giro that we, that we know and love. Love. Yeah. So thanks everyone for listening and we'll be back. Wow. Really soon to talk about what's coming up in the Tour de France Femme of Egg Zwift. Abby, did you want to do a, sorry. Did you want to do a, what are we obsessed with this week? Nope. Fuck, Matt, fuck. I was so excited that you forgot. It's like the student asking the teacher whether they have to hand in the ha- homework or not, and everyone's like, shut up, shut up, shut up. You were that guy. You were that guy. <laughs> you're going to get beaten sorry. behind I'm the sorry. school shed later. Oh, yeah, 100%. Matt, you're totally right. Okay, so before we hear from Iris and Gracie, I will kick off what we're obsessed with this week, and it will come to zero people's <laughs> surprise, and Matt already knows exactly what I'm going to say. But on Friday... 
thankfully on the rest day of the Giro. Uh, Taylor Swift released Speak Now, Taylor's version, um, 13 years after the original release of Speak Now. And I got to say, I, I waited for two years to listen to this album. I didn't listen to the original version or any of the songs on it for two years, uh, except for Never Grow Up, because that's on Lila's bedtime playlist. And I just listening to this album for the first time, for the second time, man, I, I cried, I screamed. I, it was like the most amazing and I haven't turned it off since. And I'm like the, there's a couple of the vault songs that I'm just totally obsessed with. And that's electric touch featuring fallout boy. So real throwback there. And, um, when Emma falls in love, which is just like a really, really great song. She also has a music video that she released and it's really good. So I have a question, Abby. There's been a lot of controversy about the lyric change in Better Than Revenge, the uh, allegedly misogynistic lyric that she wrote back in the day that she has now changed. What do you think about that change? Unlike many people on the internet, I, I'm glad that she changed the lyric. I think it reflects how she's grown as a person, but also how society has changed in terms of how women um, treat each other and kind of view each other. When she wrote that lyric, we lived in an age of um, comparing a lot of a lot more comparisons to other women and putting other women down to make yourself, you know, seem better. And that lyric is very much like a dinosaur <laughs> of its time. And so I know I understand the controversy of why people don't like the change. But I also think that with the time we're in now and when I play this album for Lila because I I won't play her the original version obviously when she hears speak now for the first time um I mean she's heard it for days at this point but when she hears it actually and is able to listen um I I want her to hear I don't want her to be repeating the original lyric so I'm totally fine with the new lyric I don't like the new lyric though like how I feel like she could have come up with something a little bit snappier but Whatever. What bothers me is everyone's like, oh, the anti-feminism of this one line in Better Than Revenge. And Superman is sitting right there. Like, that's the most anti-feminist song I've ever heard in my life. Oh, you're going to go off and save the world. I'll be waiting here at home. I love you. Like, <laughs> that song freaking sucks. I hate... Everyone's like, oh, anti-feminism, Better Than Revenge. And I'm like, Superman is literally the epitome of anti-feminism. So... I don't understand what you all are upset about. <laughs> I, th- I know what we need. I, I, th- I think we need a whole podcast dedicated to talking about music uh, and specifically mm. an episode of <laughs> that podcast where we talk about this album. What do you reckon? I I agree. What what should we call it? Um, I reckon the album file sounds pretty good. What do you, what do you reckon? Man, that... Yeah, that's got a certain ring to it. Uh, I, but I don't know if we can do it alone. I think we should maybe call up one more voice. Right. Um, if Work anyone wants to hear who that surprise voice is, <laughs> tune in to the Album Files podcast in August. <laughs> Season two, coming soon. Uh, Matt, what are you obsessed with since you're the one who reminded me about this segment? Yeah, sorry, everyone. Um, I, I've just got a really simple one. I had a really busy weekend uh just with family stuff uh we had um a uh a family get together with my partner's family on friday night we had a little boy there who's almost two um we then went to a family gathering the next night with my family and then went and visited my grandma the next day all just really busy full days of family and kids and spending time together and 
I don't know. I don't really know what else to say other than it just felt very wholesome and very satisfying and nice to hang out with people and people you're close to. And yeah, I'm not not being particularly articulate here at all, but it was just a a reminder that um, particularly the people that are a bit further away, Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely worth making the effort to see them. And um, it's it's a good feeling to do that. So when's when's Lincoln's birthday, Matt? Uh, September. September. Okay. Harry's two in... Two in September. Two weeks? July 25. The day of the Olympic... Yes. The Women's Olympic Road. When I didn't respond to 200 messages. <laughs> She's definitely in labor. <laughs> Poor Lauren. Poor Lauren. The freewheeling chat was just popping off. And everyone was... And when Lauren didn't respond within, I don't know, two minutes of the race, they're like, oh, she's in labor. <laughs> uh, memories. Lauren, you got anything you're obsessed with? More actually a bit like Matt, I'm spending a lot of time at home at the moment and um, just really, yeah, enjoying being with my son. It's very wholesome. <laughs> okay, I'll try to, I'll take it in a direction that obviously says I don't have children. Um, the This question has actually been on my mind. It's freaking me out and I'm a Gemini so and a lot, slightly anxious, so I have a lot of things in my mind. Uh, but uh, I'll, I'll start with it. I'll, I'll say what's on my mind and a recommendation so we can finish on a high. But you know what's been on my mind is actually social media, and I don't know what to do about it. I, I go, I'm going through, yeah, so we've just – Threads has just launched, and at, obviously I'm hitting you all with the big the big issues here. What is like, Threads? Um, you know, world famine. Exactly. So Threads is Instagram's new new platform. Uh, it's a taking on Twitter. Essentially, like you go on, it's more of a discussion page. Like like we fucking need to hear more of what people think. Uh, but um, you go on there, and um, you, all all the people that you follow and all the people that follow you are automatically following you oh, on wow. there. Okay. Um, so you know it is easier for brands because they've already harvested everyone's IP uh, on there. So there's sort of that, but then there's sort of Instagram as well at the moment. I think you go through phases of like, you know, if you're having a little bit of a challenging time, then Instagram can be like a hard place to be on potentially. But I think, and then I also go like, you know, it's just trying to, trying to come, I used to really Mm -hmm. love it, try to put out some humor and try to, you know, be fairly positive, but, and you got sponsors and things like that. And then I just go through phases of like, could I just not be on there? you know, for a whole year or could I do a social experiment mm-hmm. of going on there once a month or or something. But it's so hard because you just you you're fearful of what you'd miss out on and, and potentially, you know, walk you know, going into the abyss of like people also don't necessarily, you know, they forget you sort of thing. So that's been on my mind a little bit. I haven't been on Instagram since December. Conscious decision because I wasn't having mm. the best time in December. And then I was like, I just need to stop with that. But it's actually, honestly, it's great. I don't have, I mean, Facebook is still there, but I don't use it. It's linked for work. Um, but mm. I don't even have the apps on my phone. So it's really interesting. I never, I'm at the point now where other people pick up and scroll and I see my partner scrolling and I, I, I hate it. I honestly hate it. And sometimes in bed, I just look at him while I'm reading my book and I'm, and then he goes, okay, I'm sorry. And he puts it down. But the amount of time yeah. he wastes just <laughs> mindlessly scrolling and it's not, he's not engaging with the app. So he's not putting out content or, you know, commenting on things or really 
you know, he's passively using this technology. And I think when you, you're you passive with it, then I don't see any benefit to it. If you're just passively consuming and you're not interacting, it goes for Twitter and all that. I only go on Twitter now to look at um, race results or something like that just to stay in the loop. So my cons consumption usage of social media is like, vastly changed in the past year and so actually that's like something i'm quite proud of um i don't have sponsors mm, anymore i'm not great. an athlete no one really cares what i'm doing um if i decide to write a book <laughs> maybe i will go back and sharing what's going on in my life i think the people who know me know and for the rest like if they want to know then yeah exactly they can ask <laughs> Um, I'll finish on a recommendation because I feel like you guys always have really good recs, even though, um, Matt, I'll never read the sci-fi because it's just, it just seems like too big a project. It sounded great, but it's just, it's too beyond me. <laughs> like I needed one book, I didn't need 10, but I just finished like literally in three days. There's a new book called Yellow Face. Um, it's really, really easy if you're struggling with, you know, when you need a book to get back into mm. reading, um, mm. or like you just, you don't want to take a risk on a book and you get halfway through and just go, I've invested too much time here and this book is shit and I have to finish it. Yellow face, really easy. You'll finish it in a few days. Um, it's about, this is just the back of it, but essentially a author dies and her best friend steals her manuscripts and oh, publishes it as her own. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So get that. And cold showers. I'm into cold showers, guys. Every day mm. I finish my shower with 30 seconds. I'm currently living in Christchurch where it's zero degrees. You have no idea what cold is until you've tried a cold shower in Christchurch, <laughs> but it actually is really good. So if you're struggling with social media, have a cold shower. No, it's okay, a great cold recommendation. Do it before bed as well. Cold showers, get back on it. 30 seconds. Woo. It better than therapy. Mm. And I'm done. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, not everyone can have like a cold plunge in the back of their car like uh, some guy at some race in France. All right. <laughs> yeah. we'll, end the we'll end the episode with Gracie and Iris. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And, yeah, here talk to you Ooh. next week. Hey, Abby. So here comes my uh, not-so-small audio diary because you asked me to um, to say some words about Unmix career and especially um, her Giro career and actually when I thought about it that goes a long time back so and you know I'm not really someone from a very short answer so <laughs> prepare for a long uh, diary but my very first memory with Annemiek in the Giro is uh, back in 2010 I think it was Annemiek's first Giro but I'm not 100% sure um, I was riding at that time for the Sevela test team and Annemiek was there, I think, for uh, with the Dutch national team. And it was a really hard Giro. We had some, uh, some pretty big mountain stages. And for example, we had one stage that finished in Livigno, of all places, where Annemiek spent a lot of time uh, the last few years. But uh, yeah, we finished there and we were both in, uh, in the biggest groupetto, like the big group in the back. Actually, together with Anna van der Breggen and Ellen van Dijk and uh, a lot of other riders um, who did a lot better after that. Um, but it was probably the first and the last time that I was uh, sharing the groupetto with Annemiek. Um, she finished 27th in the Giro. Um, she, she won uh, La Route de France, by the way, next month. But the Giro, she was... Um, 
she was actually doing pretty okay in some stages, but in other stages, not so much. And I know we were talking in that groupetto, um, because that's what you do in a groupetto. And she was also telling me that at that time, she didn't really believe that she, or she was maybe doubting if she could be a good climber, yes or no, or if she could do well in a stage race. And I think also then at that time she was in a team, uh, it's called Nederland Bloeit, where also the sport director did not really believe that she would be like a good climber or a, or a stage racer. Um, so I think that was, yeah, that was really a different phase in her career. Uh, I think a lot changed in the years after. We became teammates then in 2012 at Rabobank Live. And in 2015, we moved to Cervelo Bigla together. So we've been uh, teammates for four years. And uh, yeah, like I say, those first few years, her careers were, uh, her results were very mixed in the Giro. And and I think that had to do, I knew there were different reasons. She suffered for a long time with uh, arteriac injury. Um, I remember she crashed once out of the Giro with a broken collarbone. I think that was in 2012. And I remember this actually is, is kind of a, I don't know, nice memory in some way because she became um, Dutch national champion the week before, but she didn't have um, like the the team kit, the um, national champion team kit on time. She only had one time trial suit in the Dutch color. So uh, she was wearing that every day <laughs> and uh, she had to wash it every night, I think. Um Maybe in that way she was also ahead of her time, uh, wearing a wearing a skin suit in a, in a road race every day and having to stuff all her uh, all her food in the um, in back pockets made by uh, numbers on the back. Um, so that was kind of funny, but yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately she crashed out of that with a broken collarbone. I think she actually continued one or two stages with the broken collarbone, but then she had to uh, leave it. Um, and I think those first few years with Rabobank especially were also different because we always raced with Marianne Vos, who was our GC leader. And uh, yeah, like I said, I, I don't think Annemiek had the trust in the team uh, also that she was being a, uh, that she could be a GC rider. And it took some years to uh, start believing that herself. And I think also to find the right people around her to develop herself as a GC rider. Um, in 2014, that was the last year with Rabobank. She finished eighth in GC, in the Giro. Uh, that was also a crazy year because the whole top three was Rabobank with Vos, Ferran Prevo and Van der Breggen third. Uh, even I finished top 50. So <laughs> maybe one of my best Giro results ever. But uh, yeah, Annemiek was eighth there. Uh, yeah, it was, it was really... It was, um, I mean, it was great. We could do so well as a team, but it was also really challenging to be with so many top riders in one team. And I think it's, she made a wise decision to leave that team. Uh, and especially um, uh, when she moved to Orica, um, Green Edge, Scott, um, whatever that team was called at that time, the Australian team. I think that was the best move of her career. Um yeah, she focused more on uh, on riding well in in um, in stage races. She became a better and better climber, um, and yeah, she should have all the credits for that herself. 
Um, she had multiple operations on her uh, artillac injury. And when that didn't bother her anymore, she also had a, a much better chance to do good in GC. And 2017, that was the first Giro that she did really well in GC. She became third behind Van der Breggen. And I think she could have won that Giro if she didn't lose time on uh, on a stage where she missed the, the first echelon, a windy stage. Yeah, and then, I mean, the rest is history. She won in 18, in 19, uh, in 22, and now this year in, in 23. And those last few years, I've been following uh, Annemiek from a bit more distance, not anymore as a teammate, but as a commentator on, on Eurosport, as a fan, and also as a friend, of course. And um, I have a lot of memories from Annemiek as a teammate. And I've seen her suffering a lot and being in pain a lot uh, from up close. And for me, that's always been kind of a mixed emotion as well, because I really admire her extreme determination. I don't know a lot of athletes that are able to put themselves in into that much uh, pain. Uh, but it also really hurts as a as a teammate to to see your friend or teammate suffering so much. Uh, and especially in the period she was dealing with that atelier injury is not just is not not just going really deep in training, but it's also knowing someone or seeing someone is actually in a lot of physical pain. Uh, and I think for me, yeah, I, I just have a lot of um, respect that she uh, believed in the fact that she could continue her career. And uh, she could come back after those operations. And I think, yeah, maybe that's one of her biggest achievements. Uh, yeah, when I look back to her career. Um, but I also saw how much she enjoys it all. So all the preparations, making plans, making, tech, making tactical plans, uh, motivating her teammates, uh, making them part of the success. Annemiek has uh, seen a lot. Uh, she's definitely the kind of athlete that can uh, she can put things in perspective. And she has a life and out interests outside of cycling. But she's also very capable of, as we say in the Netherlands, putting the blinders on and keep focus on one goal. And I think that's also one of the reasons she does so well at the Giro. Because this is a race... I mean, it's easy to get distracted by all kinds of things like issues, unpredictable things that can happen, long transfers, shit hotels, good hotels, changes in the course, uh, weather, uh, etc. I mean, the Giro is uh, one big uh, chaotic race. Um, and you can have all these things take up your energy or you can have yourself not be bothered by it and only make sure you put your energy in things you can influence. And that is a skill Annemiek is master of. And yeah, I think therefore she does always so well at the Giro. Um, and I've said it also a few times during commentary this week. I will miss Annemiek being part of races next year. I love how she takes every opportunity to make the race hard, to put on a good battle, to fight for every second. And if she loses, she's a fair loser, as I think she also really enjoys the fact that she's being challenged. Uh, and maybe my favorite moment of this last year was her chasing Niedermeyer and congratulating her after the finish. And um, and yeah, also, I mean, on mixed post-race interviews, they're always really good, honest. And that's also something uh, we will miss.
or I will miss. And um, yeah, I mean, I think this is already quite a long story. And to be honest, uh, when we were suffering in that Grubetto uh, on our way to Lavigno back in 2010, I had not envisioned Annemiek to become a four-time Giro winner and one of the best riders in the history of cycling. But she did it and she should have all the credits for it. And I'm just really happy to have seen that development from up close as a teammate and now in different capacities. And Yeah, I'm also just uh, happy that the season is not over yet and I'm really looking forward to the races to come and I really wish Annemiek and also everyone watching women cycling um, to have some fun and some exciting battles in in her last months of uh, racing. That's it. Hey, Will Talk fam. So we just saw Annemiek van Vluten take another pink jersey at the Giro Donna this year. It is her final year of racing. We haven't seen the dominance from her as we have in the past this year, but I was pretty pleased to see her be able to step up once again and take the pink jersey. We wanted to see a few small fairy tales happening for her this year. You know, you, you do want to see a rider go out on a high and an ex-team of made of mine. I, I still love watching her race and seeing what she can do. I think from a physiological point of view, it's just pretty mind-blowing at what she's done already in the past but also you know what she's still got left in the tank Um, my one of my favorite ever memories from racing days with Annemiek was at the first time that she took the pink jersey in 2018 so the previous year in 2017 I wasn't on the team that year I think I was in America (laughs) but um I think that they just had a couple of days where they just didn't quite nail it. And so in 2018, there was a lot of pressure on us because we knew that she could win it. Um, but it was just about nailing it over the 10 days. And um, we brought a really strong team. Everyone was on great form. It was myself, Jess Allen, Sarah Roy, uh, Amanda Spratt, Yolene Dehor, and of course, Annemiek. So there were six of us. And Yolene was sprinting so well as well. Annemiek was obviously very strong. Amanda Spratt was also coming into her peak. We, I think we took five stages out of 10. And I remember just being so fit that year as well. I just had such a great run into the tour. I think that was almost the fittest I've ever been. We took, we nearly took the team time trial opening stage. I think we lost uh, by one second, but for me, being able to keep up with Annemiek that day. I, I was just on a ripper day and it was just, even though we didn't win, it felt like a win because we hadn't quite gotten that close to um, winning a team time trial as a team. So you could just tell it was a really awesome start for us. My job was to be the wingman, the bodyguard, the team captain, and I felt a great responsibility to be looking after Annemiek and making sure she was not caught out in the crosswinds, that she was well positioned going into important parts in the stages and also looking after her in the finishes too. So sometimes I'd be part of the lead out for Yolene and sometimes I would just be making sure Annemiek didn't lose any time if there were time gaps at the finish. And I think crossing the line on the very last stage I cried I think I was just so relieved I was exhausted of course but I just felt like the weight was off my shoulders I didn't I think I probably put a bit too much pressure on myself but I just really believed in her I believed in us as a team and um, I didn't want to make any mistakes so I just was so proud and so happy and relieved that we took that jersey 
we uh, got to celebrate on the podium. We got to have a good dance around and we were just on such a massive high and it was just so special. It was a really nice team. We had a lot of laughs along the way and it was just one of the best races that I've ever been a part of as a team. So look, Anamik, I'm very proud of you, but I was also very proud to be there for you from the start. So hopefully we can see a few more cool fairy tale endings for her this year. But yeah, that was one of my favorite cycling memories. Thanks guys.